0: Great to see a full house uh, today and in, in the body here, uh, so vibrant and exciting. I want to encourage you, uh, I think you don't, as I understand a pass an offering that you uh, have boxes there and you put it in and it's really cool when you can do that and support a church because you feel like it's done uh, more willingly and you eliminate the guilt and all that kind of thing. Now there's another motive, however, um, that should inspire you. I read the other day about two fellows that fell off a cruise ship. cruise ship took a little turn. They fell off. They were unnoticed, and they washed up on a deserted island. And uh, it became evident quickly. It was small that there were no resources on the island whatsoever. There was no food, and there was no water, and the sun was just beating down mercilessly on them. It didn't take any time at all before one of them, the younger fellow, kind of started repeating himself and going a little bit crazy, and he just kept saying it over and over, there's no food, there's no water, we're going to die. And the other guy, a little bit older, he just sat there under a small tree, one of the few trees on the island, calmly. And the other guy just got more and more worked up and agitated and said, there's no food, there's no water, we're going to die. He just kept saying this over and over And finally he noticed the other guy not worrying a bit and he said to him, he said, got right in his face and said, don't you understand? He said, we're stranded on this island, there's no food, there's no water, we're going to die. And the older gentleman just looked him square in the eye, kind of took a hold of his shoulders and said, listen, he said, I own a company and I make about 10 million a year. My tithe of that toward the church is twenty thousand dollars a week. My preacher will find us. So, if if you don't give, Tim will find you. We uh, I've known we've known Tim and Rita for forty plus years now. Uh, Tim and I were uh, roommates in college and. Uh, we played on the baseball team a couple years together at Ozark. Um, we had ministries uh, for a decade or so that were only about five miles apart. I was over in DeKalb, uh, Missouri, for 15 years, uh, so so we've been close for a long time. And appreciate this opportunity to be here, even under these circumstances. Uh, yesterday, uh, by the way, Tim was better than me at most things, and. And I'll tell you that because I'm sure he will. And and uh, he was definitely a baseball. And I started out better at golf, but he became better than me. And there is one thing, however, that he's still not better at than I am, and that would be keeping your hair. Now, you don't have that deal where everybody hears this on the computer and all that, do you? Like, Well, I'll defend it. I'll tell Tim that anyway. We... we uh, just decided yesterday morning, mid-morning, that my wife and I, my wife was going to go down to Florida to see our daughter and grandchildren and stay with them a week and had just by a few minutes finished uh, making the reservations for that, buying the ticket. And uh, then Tim called and uh, told about, told me about his situation and asked if uh, I would, any possibility of being able to come up here and preach. And I said, well, what, what time and so forth well my wife's plane was ten thirty, but she had to be there at eight thirty. and he said well that's an hour hour and a quarter up there and so it should work out and I always feel like when things like that happen I really do I feel like God looks down and he see the sees these situations hey Dan's going to Kansas City to take his wife and and all that and Tim's going to be with his family, which he needs to be with his family during this difficult time. And the brothers and sisters at Troy need somebody to preach, and God says, hey, I can make this work. And and he does. And I always think that kind of thing is really cool. I'll give you another example or two in a few minutes. But the thing that bothers me worse is all the times that he does that kind of thing, and I don't know it and don't notice it. And and I'm sure that is dozens of times a day, and I don't even catch those things, how God works that stuff out. Maybe you're... I'm 60. so And I remember this from when I was a kid. When you would go to a county fair or a state fair, they would have this deal, and it was called something like Gorilla Girl, and you paid a dollar or two like that. And I, as I recall... Way back, I think it was a yellow type of small building or trailer probably they pulled. And you would go in there, and you would see a girl, and she, a dark-haired girl. She always had black hair, and she was sitting there, and she was wearing a swimsuit. And then as time went by, she began somehow to grow hair, and the next thing you know, she became a gorilla. So this girl you paid your dollar to in the fair, and this girl turned into a gorilla. And then she was in this cage, and she broke out of this cage, and she came running toward the audience, and all of us went out of there screaming. Now, I am guessing that something happens just like that with your drummer. Is that <laughs> the cage? I, maybe not. Some of you are still going, we've got to get that guy out of the cage, and some are going, we need a better cage. I know about those church music things. We uh, we uh, want to spend a few minutes with you. I asked Tim how long. I said, okay, what's the deal? What do you wear? Uh, he's just casual. He said, okay, good. We don't have to wear a suit. Uh, Tim, how long do you preach? Well, he said, I try to go 25, but it always ends up 35. And some of you are probably going, man, it feels like 45, <laughs> don't you? It, but I generally preach about 25 minutes. So it, 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 if it goes much longer than that or is different than that, I apologize. But that's just, when you do it so long, it seems like no matter how much material you have or don't have, it ends up being the same amount. And the way that works is if you have too much material and you still want it to be 25 minutes, you just talk faster. Makes sense, right? And, but the problem with that is that you guys have to listen faster. But you have two ears and I just have one mouth. So that, you, it ought to work, right? We're going to talk about making a difference uh, in God's plan. And uh, I really love the, the short verse in Jude 22. And this is not New International Version, which I generally preach out of. And many of you, I'm sure, uh, use. But Jude 22 simply says, have compassion making a difference. I think he means that when we as Christians, we as God's people have and show compassion toward people, love, concern, practical help, then that makes a difference. And and I assume he's saying that makes a difference on behalf of God. I think that's what he means. Turn with me, if you would, and we'll read that in a moment, to John chapter 6 and verse 1. And I want to spend a few minutes um, looking at, maybe a little different angle, maybe not so much, a very, very familiar story in um, making a difference. Now, I would contend it's getting harder and harder uh, for us to make a difference in our culture, and that's because we're a lot being muzzled by our culture. Lots of forces in our culture and probably ultimately Satan is behind that. They want to blame and denigrate God. They want to marginalize Christianity. Uh, It's okay for us to do it, to have it, to be it, as long as we keep it to ourselves and keep our mouths shut. That's largely in effect. You have to figure out other ways, maybe better ways, of making a difference. John chapter 6 begins this way, and I, this is in all the Gospels. It's one of the few um, accounts, occurrences, uh, certainly miracles that Jesus performed that's in all four of the Gospels. But this account is just a little bit different, is why I chose the John one. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, and a great crowd follow, of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs that he had performed on the sick. When Jesus went up on a mountainside and he sat down with his disciples, the Jewish Passover feast was near. When Jesus looked and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Now, where can we buy bread for these people to eat? Well, he asked this only to test him, because he already knew, he already had in mind what he was going to do. And Philip said, eight months' wages. If one of us, on average, worked for eight months, we wouldn't earn enough to buy enough bread for each person here to even have one bite." Well, another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Right here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? That's kind of the phrase, that question that I want us to look at this morning. How far will they go among so many? I, I, if I would had more time, I would have brought this as, I, I think it would be a better illustration. Most, most commentators and, and biblical scholars think that these five loaves were probably more comparable to what we would say, call a Ritz cracker or something like that, about that size. But they would be more like a, a um, biscuit or something like that that didn't rise very good, it was just flat and, and hard like that, but that's what they were used to. And and I would use for the illustrations of the fish a couple of sardines but they were likely dry. And this was a very common, usual type of meal back then. It wouldn't be a lot unlike sending our child to school or wherever with a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and some chips in a bag. It would be just like that. Only that's what they had back then and that's what this little boy had that day. So Somehow Andrew finds this and offers this up. And he says, we have this, but how far will this little boy's lunch go among so many? Now, the last part of that, when he says, among so many, he's really saying, and he's looking at all these people, and he said, the need is so great. I'm from down in the southeast corner of Kansas, uh, the town of Pittsburgh. And Pittsburgh's about 20,000 people. And they have a, a good Division II program. Northwest up at Maryville is kind of their arch rival. And most generally has the better of Pittsburgh for about 20 years now. But football's king down there. They have one of the nicest stadiums in, in Division II, NCAA Division II. And if you go and stand in the middle of that field and look around you on a good game day, for instance, when they're playing Northwest, a big game, that will hold about 10,000 people. If I go and stand in the middle of that field and, and do a complete 360 and look at that crowd, I'm going, this is unbelievable. That's half the population of the town of Pittsburgh comes out and fills that stadium for a big football game. Now, Scripture records that there were about 5,000 men. Most of the, again, biblical scholars and so forth would estimate that there's somewhere between ten and 15,000 people there counting the ladies and the kids. So when I stand there in Pittsburgh and say this and use that illustration, they can understand that. They can say, hey, there's more people there that need something to eat, than this whole football stadium full of people. And he's got five crackers and two sardines. The need is so great. Now the point that Jesus really wants them to get, not as much the 10,000, as the twelve, is the same truth, but different scenario. He wants them to get that the need is so incredibly great that only a miracle from God is going to meet it. Now Jesus did three things that day says he taught them. He taught the people many things. And the idea is that if we feed them, they'll be able to stay around longer and hear more of Jesus' teaching and potentially be impacted more about God. And so he fed them, Secondly. And finally, he healed many of their sick. So it seems to be that he met their physical needs, their hunger, and, and their need to be healed in some cases in order to meet their spiritual needs. Right after this, after this miracle of taking five small loaves and feeding this huge crowd, he would say to them, you know, you've just eaten bread. Bread is a big part of your lives, of your diet but I'm the bread of life. And then try to explain that to them. God cares deeply. Remember, what He's really saying, with how far will this go among so many? And He's really saying the need is so great. Look at all these people that need something to eat. And Jesus is saying, oh, God cares deeply about those needs. It made me wonder, made me think. There's a lunch in and, and the other day in um, one of our grandkids and goes to school in Florida and he's a kindergartner. Somehow he wound up at school he was telling us this story, he wound up at school without a lunch. And a lady A mom happened to be there that day eating lunch with her daughter and the daughter was in his class and she noticed that and she gave our grandson part of her daughter's lunch. Now I don't know how the daughter took that, but we were really impressed with that, that a mom would do that and volunteer part of a lunch she likely had made or whatever to give to a stranger, to a child she didn't even know, just so his needs could be met. I wonder, what could we do? And this is just one thing. One thing. What could we do? Let's just say, for instance, with a lunch. Because this story is about what Jesus did with a boy's lunch. Well, you could take somebody out to lunch. You could invite somebody over for lunch. You could go to school. You probably still do that here. As towns get bigger, it's getting more difficult. But you could go to school and eat lunch with a child or a friend. You could pay for somebody else's lunch. You could skip eating out lunch, and give it to get a new soundboard. Now, I've just thrown out five or six ideas about a lunch. Imagine what we could do with our car, with our money, with our house, with our time, if we just said to God, to Jesus, to the elders, "Hey, we've got this. How could God use this?" Number of years ago, I said I was going to tell a story like that number of years ago, um, we had a young man in the church, matter of fact, he just passed away earlier this year, and uh, he was a student at Boston College at the time and and was doing cross-country there, and um, he had an unknown condition, he was about 20 in his head, and it was... They called it an AVM a really strange conglomeration of blood vessels, and uh, somehow in this deal, they were prone to to leak and and he would, you know, every year to have a bl- brain bleed and strokes. And when he started having these, he just gradually got a little bit worse every time, and there were close calls with with his heart stopping and all kinds of different things, and times when he wouldn't, when Eric wouldn't wake up for a while and different things like that. Just from a physical standpoint, really, really sad. But when it became apparent, and when he first started coming to church, he could walk pretty normally, and then as things got worse, he used a cane and then a walker, and then, and then it became apparent he could only use a scooter around, not only the church, but other places. But they needed a van to put the scooter in and so forth, things like that, a special van. And these things were half again or higher than the, or double the cost of a, of a new or of a regularly equipped van. And they came into my office one time, were telling me this story. They weren't asking for anything. They were just saying, hey, we, we've got to find one of these things. It's the only way we can transport Eric and get him places and get him to church and so forth. And, and uh, you know, we just haven't found anything that we can afford, but we've got to do this. I kid you not, two days later, two days later, a gentleman came into my office in church, and he didn't know these other people, but he, he uh, his father, they had bought him a brand new one, and his father was hardly able to use it before he passed away. And he said, Dan, and this was a very much a late model Toyota that had been converted and so forth, and he said, Dan, if you hear of anybody that needs something like this, I, I would just like to give it to them. And my jaw just dropped. I, I've never been asked about one in 30-some years of ministry. I certainly never been handed the keys to give to somebody else in 30-some years of ministry. And that's what I say. When those happen occasionally, really occasionally, I notice, hey, God, you're doing something that's pretty incredible. That that goes way beyond coincidence, doesn't it? I mean, that's that's providence, not coincidence. There's no way around that. How far will they go among so many? When he says we talked about among so many, when he says, how far will they go? He really means, Andrew really means, well, we don't have much to work with. We've got this little lunch, just a few things that that a boy would eat for his lunch. We really don't have much to work with here. They certainly didn't have the money to do it. It's already pointed out in Scripture. And so our human inclination is to say that's not possible. That's not going to happen. We had a little lady that uh, came to know Christ late in her life. And... uh, the in the uh, February of two thousand and eight, I was beginning a six- month sabbatical, and just a day or two after that began, Evelyn woke up and she was just absolutely blind both no eyes. And they were hopeful for a while that she might get some of that back in one eye or a little bit in both or something like that. But it never did return. About a year before that, we had begun a four-year and two-month program for many people as would in the church to read through the Bible. And basically a book a month, but sometimes if they're shorter, a little bit more than that. And Evelyn was a new Christian, and she was all excited about that. And and for a year or two, she would was very much kept on those, read those. She was one of the first every month to sign up that, hey, I've read that book. And she was so excited about that. And then she became totally blind. And a group of people in the church got together and made a schedule, and took turns, and every day or two, one of them would go over and read to her that book of the Bible until two or three years down the road she read every single word of God's word. Well, how far will it go? We don't have much to work with. God doesn't need much to work with. He needs us to give what we have. To give what we can. One of my favorite stories of my life happened before I was born. And for a long, long time, I didn't like some of the effects of it. My my name is Daniel Lewis, and I never did like that name, Lewis, and fortunately, like I intended, not very many people found out that that was my middle name, just absolutely did not care for it, and years later, I, I would ask my mom and dad, I said, now, why'd you name me that? There's nobody else in the family named Lewis, I don't know where that came from, it's not a popular name name of Kids My Time, and so forth, and all that, and I'm said it happened like this. When my dad was going to Ohio State University to help put him through school, she worked in a little corner drugstore. There was no Walmart, no Walgreens, no CVC, any of that kind of stuff. They were just little independent drugstores that carried, you know, some other groceries and things like that, and she worked in their stocking shelves, and sitting at the register and so forth. And, and every so often, a minister from a church in that area of Columbus would come in and chat with her and then eventually get got around to inviting her to church. And, and for a long time, they never went. And then finally, one Sunday, they decided to go to church. And they liked it, and they went the next Sunday and the next Sunday. And before long they asked him if he would baptize them. And they became Christians. And then they began to work with the youth. And later, Dad became an elder. And then in 1974, they decided they were going to move to the Caribbean and become missionaries in Jamaica. And in 1979, they established a Bible college on a small island, which has just recently moved to the island of Barbados, in which hundreds of young people from all over the Caribbean come to train to be ministers and and full-time Christian service, and they go back out and they start churches and they strengthen churches and all that kind of thing. Because one person, that's all because one person, went into a drugstore and as he was buying his medicine or whatever, talked to the young lady there, and invited her to church. Well, we don't have much to work with. God doesn't need much to work with to start a mighty story. I hope you have a story like that in your family. Maybe you've never thought of it that way. That's common. We don't often. But I hope you have a story like that in your family. And if you don't, this is what I always say, if you don't have a story like that in your family, start one. Start it right now. Start it tomorrow when you go to the diner or you stop to fill up gas or whatever it is. You start one. And you might just, as something as simple as that, change the course of eternity for not just one or two people, but maybe for hundreds and even thousands of people. Maybe you're part of a story like that. Because somebody did that, just like I am. Because somebody else did that, you're here. Start. God doesn't need much to work with. The need is so great, but God's able to meet that. We're going to stand in a moment and and go into our time of invitation and decision, and please use this as an opportunity. If you're here this morning, I, I know if it's like most other bodies, almost every single person here is a Christian, and some of you have been so for a long, long time. If you're not, please think about giving your life to Christ. It's getting more and more common for people to to come to church for even long periods of time and not ever have been baptized. If you've never been baptized, please do that. God wants you to do that. It's the easiest thing in the world to do. But it's profound. Otherwise, think about this message, what you can do for the kingdom, even though you may not think you have that much, God can do great things.